Thanks so much for joining. Brad Meltzer, uh, it's a pleasure having you here on the Comic Carol podcast. I want to talk to you about I Am Batman and I Am Superman, new books you got out today. Uh, first questions for you, uh, you have the the Ordinary Heroes, uh, Heroes That Change the World, People That Change the World books, with Chris Eliopoulos, amazing artist. We're now switching to Stories That Change the World with Batman and Superman and then Wonder Woman upcoming next, I think. What sparked uh, the transition from Ordinary Heroes to Comic Heroes? You know, I, I can give you this beautifully bloated answer about how we just felt like, you know, after giving kids real heroes, we wanted to unlock the power of their imagination and show them what fictional heroes can do. And and that's all true, but just bluntly honest, um, we love these heroes and we love these stories. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I feel like, uh, you know, if you don't know the story of Superman and Batman, and of course, Wonder Woman also was coming, um, we feel like that's as much a part of the American dream and, and the idea of what it means to be a good person as teaching them Abraham Lincoln, as teaching them Amelia Earhart or anyone else that we've done. And, I, and obviously, we clearly understand that a few of those are real and a few of those are imaginary. But as anyone who grew up on comics knows, you know, comics are a place for those of us who, when we were younger, were searching for something. I find it over and over again with my fellow comic readers. And it, it, I can give you and say, oh, my gosh, you know, learn about Abraham Lincoln taught me to be a good person. But, but that was when I was an adult. When I was a kid, my morality wasn't, you know, people want to say, oh, I read the great books or I read the Bible. Or, you know, what, what, what kids read and what I read growing up is I read comic books. And I learned to be a good person by mom, pa, Ken the same way Clark Kent did. And I learned determination from a guy who had nothing more than a cape and a utility belt and had no powers. And those stories, as imaginary as they were, gave me those values that are the core parts of who I am. And we felt like, how do we not do that? And, and the truth was, we were like, how do we do it? And then we realized, wait a minute, we, we can do it that way. Let's make ordinary people change the world, become stories that change the world. And, mm-hmm. and here we are. Very cool. Very cool. No, I, I definitely connect with that as a longtime comics fan. And I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, one thing I really like here is, so you have these books that are ostensibly, you know, they're kids' books, right, about the, the histories and distilling it. But again, you got this amazing art from Chris Eliopoulos. Certainly as, a, as an adult, I can appreciate and enjoy that and enjoy the distillation. I really like how you have the creator history in here. You know, the focus on Bill Finger, shout to Jerry Robinson, right, making sure the creators are credited as well. Um, I'm curious, when you're distilling these creations and there are now 80 years of history, down to a fairly short overview. What do you what do you find yourself as like the most important element for that approach? You know, it's funny. When I first got hired by DC Comics, Paul Levitz sat me down. You know, they brought me to the big boss's office. Paul Levitz ran it. You know, for those of us who grew up on Paul Levitz's Legion of Superheroes or other things, it was like you know, it was going to the Godfather. Mm-hmm. And I, and I forget. I actually forget. I think it was him or Dan DeVito told me this, but I think it was Paul. They'll of course tell me when I get it wrong. Um, but they said to me, "There's three types of continuity." And they said, "There's continuity that can't be changed." Right? Superman comes from Krypton. Uh, he lands in Smallville. They raise him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, you know, Batman. His parents die in an alleyway. It, that's just it. Can't be changed. It's it's immutable. Yeah. And obviously, you can have imaginary stories, and you can have all the exceptions. But but basically, that's you know you know that's the one kind of the, the other kind of continuity is, you know, there's stories that you like and you prefer, and then there's bad stories, and we ignore those. You know, and <laughs> it, it sounds 
silly and, and almost trite, but it's actually right. And that's how it is. It, it, it's just, we all want to say, oh my gosh, you better look at the continuity, but there are just things that don't make sense. You know, Batman used to run around with a gun and shoot people. Like, I mean, you're just like, okay, not anymore. Like we're not doing that anymore. And, and so for me, what I tried to do is go to the purest version of the character um, that, that I like. And I guarantee you, if you wrote your version, you'd have a couple different things, but I, I, I really do. You know, we joke that these books are for kids, but they're for me as adults. They're for you as an adult. They're, you know, it's me writing the origin of Batman and me writing the origin of Superman. And I would have written it not a single word different if they asked me to do it for adults. Yeah, They just might have not had Chris's incredible art on it. And that's what will make it appealing for kids. But, you know, we, we really went out there and, and, and just tried to find the best of it. And, and you'll see, obviously, there's lots of nods to great moments in comics. There's nods to year one in Batman. There's nods to Man of All Seasons or, you know, uh, the other stories that I love from Superman. And some of them are just my own changes that are in there. And then there's a Superman movie that's in there. And then there's one part of one Batman movie that's in there, but not all of them. You know, so I'm just picking and choosing the ones I like. And I know one thing. I'm not that special. And if I like that one, I'm pretty sure those are the ones. And, and it's funny, I went on I went on my Twitter account right before I started writing each book, and I said, hey, everyone, what's your favorite scenes and favorite moments of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman? Just to see if everyone's matched mine. Mm. See what I was forgetting, see what I was leaving out. And I'm telling you, nothing was different. Everyone had the same ones. They yeah. were like, yeah, those are the best ones. We all know when we vote what are the best moments, these are the best moments. Yeah, no, it's really interesting how that because I, I did notice that especially in the Batman one, right? You have the the famous, you know, Batman falls down the well scene and, and the quote about so we can get back up, right? And obviously the the Chris Nolan movie verse inspiring that, but then so many other comic references throughout. Um, seeing Chris Eliopoulos do, you know, the super cute kind of like little boy Batman do like Frank Miller year one, <laughs> do like Frank Miller David Mazzucchelli year one. That was an absolute treat. Um, what were some, so oh, by the way, can I just talk about that? Can I tell you, yeah, please, please talk about this stuff anywhere else. It was so funny is that when Chris first did it, it was horrifying because he did it exactly like Mazzucchelli did it. And, I, and that's what I asked <laughs> for in the script. I'm like, we're doing year one here. The year one version is the best version. I want to do it like this. I even literally said to him, draw the bat like Mazzucchelli draws the bat. Yeah. And his bat is horrifying. It's a horrifying, it's one of the few ones where, you know, every time, I, even when I was little and a bat flew through the window, I was like, does that really inspire you? And it, it wasn't mm-hmm. until you see Mazzucchelli's that you're like, you know, and, and I think Miller's too did a beautiful job of it, is it when it's terrifying, it's scarring. And that's why it inspires you. And we all know those kind of really fearful things that kind of get under our skin forever. And so Chris draws this horrifying creature of the night that comes through the glass and we're all like, oh, we can't do that. Like, Joe's will be crying. So he, he gave us a much better uh, palatable bat. It's it's super fun. You know, the, the yes, father, I shall become a bat, but with the smiling. With the smile on his face. Like, <laughs> no, he loves it. It's like a devious little thing. And the funny thing, you mentioned the, two, the movies. I actually, you know, it's funny. I'm a comic guy. I don't love the movies when it comes to the origins. I, I usually don't. Yeah. At least on the Batman side. Like, even, even the best Batman versions in the movies that I think they're the ones that just reproduce year one. I, that's what I really think. I think the, it's mm-hmm. the ones that do it, you know, just like Miller wanted to do it. Um, and as Kelly did it. And oddly, that was the one little moment I did think even when I was in the movie, I always think comics are this, um, I always say to my kids, it's Darwinism in comics. 
And if an idea is good enough, it will bleed into comics. The same way, you know, Superman flying did not come from the comics. It came from radio. And then people were like, that's a good idea. And they pulled that into the comics and suddenly it's good enough. Or, you know, making Nick Fury um, look and sound like Samuel Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mark Miller and, uh, and Hitchy basically were like, yeah, let's do that. And it was so good that it actually happened. And then it was so good in the movies that it happened backwards into the comics. Like, <laughs> right. Darwinism literally took over and made this incredible thing happen. And I feel like that was the one moment from the movies that to me, like deserved to be in the comics. This having that we never know about Bruce's relationship with his parents. We really don't know much about Bruce. He's just, he's a nobody until his parents are dead. And I always loved that moment of you got to get back up. Like that constitutes me the core of Batman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a great call. And it's also like, you know, so I'm reading these books with my kids and I, I told you before we started, I've got, I've got three little boys under five and it's, it's, there's a, it's a real emotional resonance to that moment in particular, you know, that, that heightens the sadness of Bruce's story, you know? And then I think also the one thing, you know, the, the elements that you focus on the most are like Bruce's determination and Superman's kindness, you know, and those are the two kind of guiding principles through these characters. Um, as you're, as you're doing, you know, in, in brief biography, like you said, through all this comics bibliography, through all this media bibliography, that, that all kind of intersects. Um, but even, you know, for younger readers reading it, I was like, I was getting, I was getting emotional. (laughs) Like it, it was hidden. My my wife, I can tell you, I've been doing this 25 years. I watched my wife read the Superman book Yeah, and she burst into tears. Yeah. Really burst into tears reading it. And I, I promise you what, I, she will not be the only one. I was in tears writing it. Mm -hmm. I was, cause it was, you know, that book especially, and I love the Batman book because Batman's always been my, you know, I just am a Batman kid and I was Batman for Halloween every year from like, you know, six to 40. And, um, <laughs> and the truth was, um, there's something about the Superman story when you're a parent yeah, that is just cuts you to the core. Because the parents and Batmans, of course, they're gunned down and they're gone. But the Superman story, all of his kindness, half the book, as you saw, of I am Superman, we do it. Half the book is Smallville. And if you don't understand Smallville, you don't understand Superman. And and it means that I was writing half a book about these kindly people who taught him the values of hard work and kindness and decency. And my God, is the world starving for that thing? I'm starving for that for my kids. And suddenly I realized I'm not writing the hero named Superman. I'm writing the dream I have for my children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that book just became, you know, my wife literally was crying reading it going oh my gosh this is this is our dream that we have for our kids that our kids can grow up and we could not turn our kids into superheroes but teach our kids to be kind to everyone to be good to everyone yeah yeah no absolutely no it definitely hit me uh, in a similar way and it's been it's been a nice experience to be able because it's one of those things where like I, I'm trying not to push comics too hard <laughs> on the kids, but at the same time, I always want the opportunity to share some of these connections with them. And uh, these books are a great opportunity to do that. So, you know, I've been enjoying it in that regard. Now, I know you're, you know, obviously, as we're talking here, you, know, you can tell, like, you're a big comics fan. You can tell, especially, you know, if you read your Justice League of America run, one thing I always liked about it was, you know, you're weaving in reference after reference and so many touch points. And you kind of had the feel of, like, well, I don't know if I'm going to get to get to do a big Barta thing later. So let's get in a Barta reference here, you know, and like all these different things. What were your favorite deep cut references in, in the I am Batman and I am Superman books? Cause you got in a couple. 
Oh, I got more than a couple. I feel like we should have, someone said to me, you should have a contest to see you can even catch them all. Sure. I mean, and there's, there's the obvious like gimmies, right? Like there's this point where, where, and what's so fun is our editor of these books. Usually we have a comic book editor at DC comics, but these are published by penguin random house. Yeah. So they're published by my book publisher who knows nothing about comics. She's the most amazing woman. And, you know, edits us in for Marie Curie or, you know, Rosa Parks or John Lewis or Dr. King, you know, but now she's got to edit Superman and Batman. So there's this moment in Batman where he says, you know, um, you know, and I got, you know, I got the cave and I I got all these wonderful toys. And then you turn the page and there's the back cave and you see everything, all Mm -hmm. the gadgets, all the stuff. Right. And so she writes, and obviously to anyone with a brain in their head, those, you know, where did he get those wonderful toys from it? You know, obviously Burton's bad. Batman, and she's literally wrote, can we just say, where do I get these wonderful gadgets? And I'm like, no, no, you're missing the joke. <laughs> like, no, I'm doing a reference here. Like, yeah. like, everyone who needs to get it will get it, but she can't get it. And, and like, similarly, like, there's a moment in I Am Superman where um, we talk about, you know, Superman's weaknesses are kryptonite and magic. And you see Lois Lane grab the kryptonite rock and says, don't worry, Superman, I got you. And he says to her, you got me. Who's got you? And she writes to me, why is, why is he saying, who's got you? Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, trust me, we have to have the line in there. Like, so <laughs> I, I just, you know, for me, I don't think there's like a, you know, whether it's, whether it's Superman saying general, will you care to step outside? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, any of those things, uh, those are what I love. I love those things that if you didn't read it, you don't know you're missing it, but if you get it, you, you understand that this character is not just, you know, an Easter egg because Easter eggs are cool. Um, but because those sentiments like just hit me at my core when I was seven years old. And, and, you know, for those of us who grew up on those characters, uh, there's nothing like having someone tell you, I, I got you. I, I totally see this character. Like you see this character. That to me is what the fun of the, of those, of those little winks and nods are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's a blast. Um, did you, so you're, you know, you're, you're putting these out through penguin, but obviously they're DC characters. Did you have any DC editorial oversight where they were like, Oh, actually we, we have to have this, uh, you know, this reflected in the character or any like, you know, oversight like that. You know, I've been really lucky with DC. Um, they're just been a family to me for, you know, almost two decades now. And, and they've obviously given me their characters in multiple times. And, and they know that I don't go out on limbs when, it, like, I see those characters how they see those characters. So there was never one thing where they ever came back and said, Superman better do this or has to do that or Batman can't do this or can't do that. Nothing. The only edits that they had understandably were, you know, you, you can't, you know, you, you, these are books now for little kids. I'm Superman, I'm Batman. Even though you and I will read them and enjoy them, or really for kids that are like, whatever, four to 12 years old, you know, four, uh, above four years old. Yeah. And you, you can't show his parents being gunned down. Right. And we were like, well, let's try it. Let's just see if we can pull it off in a kind of subtle way. And we tried it and it, it, it was, it was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, literally it would be, it would be terrifying to your young boys. So we have a version that Chris did where we were like, went for it. And it's just, I will be the first to say they were absolutely right. It was just, you know, the audience was wrong for it. And so mm. we obviously did, you know, we chose to put him kneeling in the moonlight, obviously, a la year one um, under the under the lamppost. But, you know, some of those things we just couldn't be as graphic with. And that's a, that's always a trickier thing. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I was a little nervous about that. I was like, I was like, what exactly, what exactly are we going to show yeah, here? Right. You know? But I love those. You probably like read it as you were going with your kids and you're like, oh, as you start, you're like, wait a minute, 
these parents are going to die soon. <laughs> yeah, doing this. And so, you know, you, again, like if you're, if you're doing a Disney movie, you can, you can deal with serious subjects, but you have to know your audience and, and make sure that, you know, I, I want, my goal with these books is yes, I want your kids to get the values, but I want your kids to love Superman and I love Batman. Mm-hmm. And if I scare them, they're not going to. Right, like they're just not going to. So we, we, you know, that was a very important one. And even, you know, we killed in the in the book. We kill Pa Ken. I just think it's a vital thing you got to do, as Superman's kind of. And some people, you know, kill both or kill one or do whatever. You know, there's there's a million ways to kind of figure out which way you want to go. But you know, we tried to deal with that in such a sensitive, beautiful, like regular circle of life way. And I, I love that page that Chris drew. When you see Clark in the field, it's in Smallville, just saying, I, I don't have the strength to go on. And mom's saying, you do. You're stronger than you think you are. Yeah. And yeah. that, to me, is why that's the lesson that mom gives him right there, right? Is you are stronger than you think. And even Superman needs to hear that. Right. No, it definitely resonates. And I, I, I do always appreciate, because I, yeah, I wondered about that, because the continuity of it. It's like, well, you can go you can go a few ways with that, the way it's been handled with when does Superman lose his parents. Um, but I personally, as, as a fan of the character, I always just prefer, like, Ma still being around. I like when they get to have those conversations, you know? Um, Me too. Connect, That's the thing. Yeah. Is, and, we, and I've done it both ways. I mean, when we did it in Identity Crisis, we had Mom and Pa both were alive. Yeah. And it's fun, but... It's weird, you know, when I when you you have to make a choice, right? So here you are, you're doing the, your definitive version, not the definitive version, but your definitive version. And I realized I like having him have, you know, one of my favorite moments. We didn't put it in the book, but one of my favorite moments from the original Superman movies when you find out that Clark Kent sends half his paycheck home every month. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just loved it. It's just a little throwaway line. He's like, oh, I think Perry White says something like, you know, he says, Mr. White, can you also, what, you guys send this home to your mom in Kansas? And he's like, well, yeah, actually, yeah. And you just realize, oh, he's still that person. He Mm -hmm. has that that thing that grounds him. And so I, I love him having that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's your, you know, so we were talking about these I Am Batman and I Am Superman books, and of course we'll include links here in the show notes for everybody to, to check these out. Again, they're really nice, and I, I love Chris Heliopolis's stuff, and I love, you know, your writing here with these. What's your what's your proudest comics work? Because you've had a, a few really interesting short stories recently. you got these books. You've obviously had Identity Crisis, Justice League of America. What's the one where you feel like you you hit it, like, and you're, you're just, you're thrilled with the way it came out? Yeah, I mean, I, I still love Identity Crisis because I, I've just never seen people react. And, and I know there are people who are like, you know, will be critical of it. And there are people who are like, this book changed the way I read comics and why I read comics. And, and of course, neither of them are right, you know. It's, but I love the fact that it just it caught something in people's imagination. Uh, it just did. And I love that story it was you know it's me pouring everything once they gave me here's everything i was like i'm taking everything like when they gave me green arrow i put superman in there because i was like i never know if they're gonna invite me back again Mm -hmm. so page one i wrote superman i was like i don't know if i'm gonna be back at this dinner table i'm taking all the food i can grab (laughs) but when they gave me identity crisis i just was like i'm putting everything in there there's you know there's titans references there's this references i mean everything i could do to make that universe real and matter the way it mattered to me um I will say, I think, if you ask me the, the, the best work we've done, I do think that Justice League number 11 that I did with Gene Ha, with uh, Red Arrow and Vixen being trapped under the rubble. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we won a, an Eisner Award for it, and it's not because we won the Eisner Award. When I did that story, I was like, this may be one of my favorite things I've ever written. Mm. And I knew it then, and we went with a different artist purposely. Like, it was just bad timing for a Benestini to break, and I, 
But when I saw what Gene did, I was like, this is even better than it was in my mind. And that's, you know, I had that with rags too. When the art came in on Identicross, I was like, this is better than it was in my head. And when that happens, it's just magical. And the truth is, um, I am Superman. It may be my favorite. It just may, it's just like the, it's everything that I want to do as a writer, but I think more importantly, it's everything I want to be as a person hmm. is, is born into that book. It's my core beliefs are etched in those pages. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And they're beautiful beliefs. I mean, you can get that out of Superman, you know, it's like, I don't know, people can, people can be cynical and, and, you know, talk like it's hokey, but it's like, yeah, but I kind of love that ideal. <laughs> I always do. And it's why, it's why Superman works. Um, with, with identity crisis, you know, obviously it's a huge book. It's immensely popular. Did you intend for that to kind of be like a gateway book into the DC universe? Like, did you see it being that for new readers or were you surprised it took on that life? I, I had no idea I was going to do anything. You know, when, when I worked on that book, Dan DiDio came to me and said, um, I'd love to do a small emotional story that just, it was right after 9-11, and 9-11 had obviously just devastated us as a country, but devastated our heroes, right? We used to, if you remember after 9-11, don't really date us now because now we feel old, but yeah. after 9-11 happened, um, what was so incredible about it is people were going up to police officers and going up to you know people in the fire department and just saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving. You see anyone on a plane in their uniform, thank you. And you think about where we are with the police right now, whatever your politics are, the controversies that are up there, like we were thanking anyone that put on a uniform. And I remember Dan DiDio came to me and said, you know, every day those cops and those fire people put on their uniforms, they're risking their lives. And we forgot that. It took 9-11 to give us that feeling back again. And he said, I want that feeling for the DC universe, that every time our heroes put on their capes and their utility belts, that, that we feel like they're risking their lives, because we don't feel that anymore. They just We just assume they're going to go out and fight another bad guy. Like, help us make it feel real. And so he, I remember he used the word small emotional story. So I just thought it was going to be a little tiny thing. We didn't, it was never meant to be a big event. It was There were no events back then. There was no crisis. They never used the word anything. I wrote the entire story. It had no title. And then Dan read it and said, I handed him all the issues. Like I, I basically, I hit, I wrote it all at once. Cause I didn't, I wasn't monthly. I was just doing my thing as a novelist and I like a novelist. I wrote the whole thing. Yeah. And then a month, every month I would have a calendar reminder and said, okay, hand in a new issue. So it looks like you're working. And I was just every month handing in another, but they were all done. And he read the first issue and said, Oh, we're going to make this an event. And then Mike Carlin said, we should put the word crisis on it. So people know it's, it's so, you know, this, we're going to do another event. And suddenly we're, it was this thing that I was like, you do what you want with it. As long as you don't change the story, I'm okay. Yeah. And they, God bless them. It changed my life. I mean, that book changed my life. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. That, that the crisis would add it after the fact, because obviously it has such resonance in the DC universe. I mean, I think that's certainly the marketing side of it that heightens just the expectations, right. Of what, of what this book is going to be. Um, and then I think the mystery hits on that. Yeah, that is fascinating that it would, that it would give you all those opportunities. And, and obviously, I, I remember, I remember Mike Crawlin saying we should, you know, it'll be the first time we use the word crisis since Christ on infinite earth. And I remember thinking, and it's how I feel about the novels too. I always tell the publisher, I'm like, I never care about the title. Oh, really? You want to, like, I'm not good at titles. I say, I always say to them, I care about the 500 pages. As long as I can tell that story, you want to pick the three words that'll sum it up, have at it. I mean, I tend to pick a lot of them. But when he said he wanted to do that for, you know, tell people this is this is something big, I was like, as long as you don't change the inside, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I've, I've seen you talk about this before. Obviously, there's controversy with the book, you know, and some of the themes and some of the 
the harder things to deal with, you know, the sexual violence in the book. I have to imagine that if you wrote it today, you'd write it differently. Um, I imagine that's true of a lot of your stories. Is there anything you look back with regret or, or is it, you know, purely like I, I did what I, I did what I set out to and, you know, people have their reactions to it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 interestingly, and again, here we are now, it's almost coming up on 20 years, 20 years. People are still talking about this book that I made up 20 years ago. And I never thought that, you know, whatever, very few comics are still in print that you can go buy in your Barnes and Noble or your local comic store today, right? That were around 20 years ago. And, and that always kind of blew me away. And I, and I, and to anyone, I, I, but oddly in 20 years passing, I feel the same about one thing, which is, you know, I wish that rape and sexual violence did not exist, but anyone who says that our industry cannot deal with that issue or cannot take on that issue. Uh, it's just absolutely thinking too little of our industry, thinking too little of our stories. And, you know, it, it's, it's sadly a reality and our, and our, and our stories will always reflect reality. And that's how we tackle these things. And that's how we deal with them. Um, you know, obviously times change and how we do things change and, and all those things, you know, will shift and, and our own values shift, you know, whether it's about the police or anything else in between. Um, but that was always a goal of mine is to draw attention to that issue and say, this is a real problem. And we, you know, this is how we look at it. We always deal with, you know, whether it was people dealing with racism in the 60s in comic books or dealing with, you know, white supremacy in, in the 70s or dealing with sexual violence, you know, and, and listen, admittedly, of course, some deal with it like it's nothing and they throw it aside and some deal with it as like it's just a little plot point and who cares. But I felt like we were always trying to give it the attention that it deserved in terms of a really horrible, terrible thing. And, and it had just devastating consequences for everyone that was associated near with just like it does in real life. So, you know, I, I wish it didn't exist, but, I, you know, I don't think you can ever limit any genre and say you can't deal with that issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think probably I would agree. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's a lot of times where people have issues is, is how it's dealt with certainly. Um, and I think if the aims are attention and uh, gravity and a seriousness to it, then that tends to be met with respect. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of discussion about this book. It's been around for a long time. So I'm sure you've, you've seen it all. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it all around uh, identity crisis. Would you, would you ever want to take on a run on comics again? Do you think, you know, you've kind of, it's been a while. You've done some shorter story since obviously you got these, these new books going on, but what do you think you'd ever want to come back to like print comics? I mean, I, they always ask me to come back. I, I mean, I talk to Marvel and DC all the time. I know what they're doing all the time. <laughs> I yeah. know what the plan is for years. You know, like I know, um, and so I always say to them, just, you know, tell me what you're doing. And if I have the physical time, I do it. it. It's not because I don't want to. It's just because, you know, when I, when I used to do comics, I used to do my thrillers and then I do comics. And now we do the thrillers and we do nonfiction books. We're doing a book called The Nazi Conspiracy about a real life secret plot to kill FDR and uh, Stalin and Winston Churchill at the height of World War II. Yeah. That's going to come out in January. And also in January, we're going to come out with I Am John Lewis, and we've done 30 kids' books with Chris Eliopoulos. Yeah. So it's not that I don't want to do comics. I just don't have the physical time because I'm, you know, we're so committed to doing these kids' books and doing the nonfiction side of things. So uh, obviously, you know, there's moments 
I can't tell you how often that I'm like, oh, should I jump back in for this one? This is going to be a fun one. And uh, when I have that perfect story, then I'll jump back in. And until then, it's just, you know, trying to find the time to do everything I love to do. Sure, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So in prepping for this, I had a, a fun experience. I started reading The 10th Justice, which I hadn't run before. And um, and then I reread your, your Action Comics 1000 story. And lo and behold, there's Rick Fagan, the criminal. <laughs> you are the only person, the only person who has ever caught. If you, yeah, there's your answer to your earlier uh, deep cut question. I've, I got one. I put that in there. There's one other that I put in. There's one other. There's one other tenth justice character that I hid in another book. I will not tell you where. That's what I was going to ask. In yeah. Book. Oh yeah. I've been hiding. I mean, I hide stuff. There's so much stuff hidden in every single. So I've been hiding comics. For those who don't know, the tenth justice is my very first novel written 25 years ago. I was a kid when I wrote the book. I mean, I literally was 27 years old when the book came out. And um, and if you read the Tenth Justice, you can see it is littered with comic book references. Mm-hmm. I mean, and back then, comic books were not where they are now. They just were not cool. They weren't the thing. They, no, there were no movies. There was no nothing like this. And I put. The, I remember I put the Supreme Court justices are named Osterman and Kovacs and uh, Dryberg. And <laughs> yeah. Anyone who has you know we, anyone back then, I would have. Every book signing, have all these people at the book signings, and one guy every five cities would come up to me and whisper at the end, "Dude, is that that's the Watchman, right?" <laughs> and I'm like, "You're my brother. Like, we're friends now. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Secret society, right?" And, and I know it's so obvious, but I was, you know, it, yeah, my third book, I put all the Justice Society secret identities, and like one person would find it. Now. People will hunt like crazy because whatever, comics just became cool and it became whatever. But as I was doing all that, when I was writing my comics, I was always hiding my novel stuff in the comics. And no one's found that. No one can find that. So you just found one of them and it's maybe my favorite one. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) Yes, the villain, and for those who don't know, the villain from The Tenth Justice is actually the villain that Superman is grabbing in Action Comics 1000. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. That that's super fun. Well, I gotta I gotta check out some of the rest of these now and, and see what the, the the references are. Um, I I also you know see to that action comic short you did um uh in Marvel Comics one thousand uh, a one page Spidey story with Julian Tatino Tedesco. Um, it's called uh, Ben, I think, or, or we'll name him Ben, something like that. Yeah, um, we'll call him Ben. That way, it, it's such a good. One page comic. Uh, I don't usually reveal this, but one of my sons is named Ben, so I was like, "Oh my uh, goodness!" <laughs> well, how do you like? How do you pull off a one page comic when you only have such little room? Like, how how do you even approach that? Yeah, that was a trick, you know. So, so at the time, so this is perfect for perfect segue for my kids, right? So, when I wrote Action Comics One Thousand, the story that I had, it was, and they, I think it's like a six page story of seven pages short mm-hmm. um but they said you, could, you just got to do it quick and i said okay and the story was is that superman is trying to save this woman and is a and basically as the, it starts he's flying and he says i'm not going to make it and you can see that across the city as he looks with his telescopic vision and x-ray vision there's a woman with a gun to her head and a guy pulls the trigger the bullet is already spinning through the chamber and he's trying to fly toward it. And he's like, I know my top speed. I know the distance. I can do the math. I'm not going to make it. I'm not fast enough. And he's like, but I got to try. And he keeps flying. And as you, each page is like the whole story takes place in half a second. So it's as the bullet is just coming through the gun and it's twirling through the gun. And when he gets to the, when he, as he's getting closer, he sees that what he didn't notice is that the woman, instead of pulling her head away from the bullet as it's coming to her head, she actually, as he pulls the trigger, leans toward it. 
just enough to knock his the gun a little bit high. And she's still going to take a bullet in the brain, but it's going to buy him a half a second. And he's like, and that's all I need. And he bursts through the wall in that half second, and he catches the bullet. And he says to the woman at the end, he says, you know, um, that was really brave what you did. And, she's, and he says, you should be a cop. And he says, you know, that's what my dad says. And then Superman flies off and says, your dad's a smart man. And, and he asks her her name, and her name is Lila. And he says, your dad's a smart man. Now, again, to tell you what my Easter eggs are, my daughter's name is Lila. Okay. What I had John Cassidy do is I gave him pictures of my daughter, and I had him age her up. She's uh-huh. a little girl when, when I wrote that story. And I said, I want that for my daughter one day. And I love it because it's it's Superman saying your dad's a smart man and I'm her dad, right? And so was it, that that story was a gift to my my daughter. I wanted her to have that gift. Yeah. And so when Tom Brevoort, that's a very long-winded way of telling you this story is for Spider-Man. Is Tom Brevoort um, soon after that said, "I want you to do the same for Marvel. We're doing one-page stories." And my kids at that point, just my two boys, love Spider-Man. Yeah. And I wasn't going to do it. And I didn't have the time and I was really busy. But Tom's like, dude, it's one page, Brad. Just do one page. And I was like, I'll do it if I can get the best story. And if I can't get the best story, I don't want to do it. And I sat there for like weeks trying to think of it. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and being like, I got it. I got it. I can tell what I know the most because it has to be human. It's not, it can't be a fight. It can't be, a, you can't do anything fun in one page. Um, but the story, and I pitched it to my, I remember I was sitting at the dinner table, pitched it to my son and to my wife. Um, and my son's a kind of nerd person like me. He loves he loves comics. And I said to him, um, you know, it's going to be basically be Spider-Man with a pregnant woman. And he saves her. And, and she says, I'm gonna, you know what? You just saved my life. And he's like, great. And she's like, no, you saved my life. I'm going to name my kid after you. And he's like, oh, that's funny. And I do the jokes. And she goes, no, I'm not kidding. I'm going to name my kid after you. What's your name? And he looks at her, takes a beat, and he says, Ben. And then you see all these other kids going, I'm naming my kid Ben, I'm naming him Ben, all these babies being born, I'm naming him Ben, I'm naming him Ben, and it's very clear, of course, that Spider-Man does this all the time, and mm-hmm. all these babies are named, and of course he picks Ben as his name, because he's never going to reveal his own secret identity. Yeah. And I, I, I loved it, because to me, like I was like, again, as a father, I was writing for my boys, and my son is named Ben, because my grandfather's named Ben. Mm-hmm. So his middle name, you know, that. So for me, of course, it's what you responded to. It was me writing as a dad, and I always think my best stories come from that is when you're writing from that personal space. It's why I think I am Superman resonates, it's, you know, and there's a, I wrote that kind of original little story at the end of I am Superman, which won't ruin. But that scene when he's on the way to fight Lex Luthor with the little girl is literally my version of what I would write. If, if I could write a story for DC of my perfect Superman story, it's on those two pages in there. Yeah. And I love that moment that they have. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I love that. Yeah, that that family connection. It's amazing. Um, all right, so we got we got Wonder Woman next in the the stories that changed the world. How's how's the progress coming on that, and and what are the plans from there? Um, so yeah, so we did. I get, it's basically at this point. It's it's uh, it's. I'm literally proofing them. That's what I was doing today. Is literally looking at Chris's amazing art, um, and and obviously. So many people are like, are you doing Wonder Woman? Like, we've already been doing Wonder Woman. We've been working on Wonder Woman for six months, I promise. Like, mm-hmm. So we knew we had to do it. We just physically couldn't get Chris to draw all three of them together and get them all out in the same time. So it yeah. goes Superman, it goes Batman. Then we do John Lewis. We do Temple Grandin, um, our first autistic hero. And then we do Wonder Woman. Okay. And um, so those are going to be, be a little bit of gap between. But it's, it's obviously... And what's so interesting about Wonder Woman is... You know, you, again, you've got to find the core story. And I won't ruin it for you, 
But interestingly, like, I feel like if I put a gun to anyone's head and I said, what's the core Superman story and what's the core Batman story? We all would kind of agree on what it is. We'll all pick, you know, amongst the same top three favorites. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman's very different. Yeah. People have very different versions on Wonder Woman, especially, you know, and, and I think what was almost embarrassing to me is how few women have written Wonder Woman. And I think it's why she's been, you know, I think there's some amazing stories that have been told, but my God, they didn't, you know, until they let women actually write the character, you know, how are you going to possibly get a version that's an authentic, true, down to its core version? Mm -hmm. So it took a lot more work for me personally, and I know other people have their own opinion, but, you know, everyone has their own their own view of the perfect Wonder Woman story. I don't think everyone agrees on what the number one best version is. And, and you'll at least see my version yeah, um, or what I think, but I'm very, very proud of it. And in fact, I was, I was emailing today with my friend, Alan Heinberg, um, who I think is just one of the best Wonder Woman writers ever. And he was really, you know, as close to me as could be when I was doing this book, he wrote the Wonder Woman for the first movie too. Yeah. And he really helped crack it wide open for me. He was, as we were talking, we spent a while on the phone just talking about like, no, I don't just go blind into this. I was like, I want to talk to the best people who know the most about this character. Mm. And it was during our conversation. I was like, I got it. I got it. I got it. Let me go and I'll send it to you. And so it was really fun to send it to him and watch his reaction. Very cool. That'll be nice to see. Yeah, I mean, Alan, and I was going to say Alan and Patty Jenkins' version, I think that's why the, the Wonder Woman movie resonated so much in a lot of ways, is because it is a harder origin to pin down. There's There's been so much variance and, and fluctuation. I mean, the George Perez run certainly is beloved, you know, and I think a lot of fans would go there. But otherwise, it's like, yeah, you can go in a lot of different directions. So I, I would imagine that gives you more... I don't know, in some ways it'd be thrilling, right? You have flexibility, maybe you can do a little bit more, but then in some ways, maybe that's more intimidating. <laughs> it's not as, yeah, not as locked I down. Yeah, I never get intimidated. I don't mind ever filling in the blanks and putting my own versions, and that's what we did. You know, yeah. we, we did different versions, and you know, like, and there's some people who are like, I love when she's one of the gods, and some people are like, I hate when she's one of the gods, and some people are like, I want more mysticism, and people are like, I want her more grounded. Like, there's no right answer. They're all choices. Yeah. Um, but for me, I could, I could never relate to some like i need to relate to the character and i don't mean relate meaning like i need to have their experience i'm talking about in a in a kind of deeper emotional like you know we are never going to be from the planet krypton and we're never going to land in a rocket in kansas but we all know what it's like to have someone who was so kind to us and so good to us that they taught us right from wrong that is just a human you know just about everyone has someone they can think of who is like, who's their mom, pa, you know, and it may be a real relative, it may be a teacher, maybe someone who, who just believed in them and made them feel like they were better than themselves. Because that's what Superman is. He makes you feel better than yourself. Mm-hmm. And and that is something we all relate to. And, and Batman, you know, when you lose it all and you feel like nothing's there and you're going to get knocked down tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, but you still got to get up, we all have that... I mean, it may be a fantasy or maybe an aspiration, but of what it means to climb to your knees and stand up again. And we all can relate to that moment. And I needed that for Wonder Woman. You know, and I don't know what it's like to live on Paradise Island. I don't know what it's like to be a woman, much less, you know, someone with superpowers. So I have to find that kind of core thing that all of us as human beings experience before I feel like I can understand and write the character. And if I don't, I just, like, I'm not starting the book. Yeah, and until I had that, the book couldn't go. Okay, okay, but you feel like you're there. 
feel like you got it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, I wouldn't have written the book. I literally would have been like, we're not going to do it. it yeah. doesn't, I don't want to do a crappy story. I always tell DC, they always say, hey, do this story. And I'm like, even Identity Christ, I said to them, I don't want to do it. And even Green Arrow, the very first thing they offered me, and I wanted to do it so badly, I said to Bob Shark at the time, I said, I, I'm so honored. I love that, but only if I can come up with a good story. If not, I don't want to do a story for you. Yeah. And I think it's the one thing that's made me very proud of my comic work is I don't do... I don't just take the work. I only do the work when I feel I have the story to tell. Tom Reaver asked me about Spider-Man. I said, I'll do it if I have a good story. It took me a month, and I called him back, and I was like, I think I got one. He's like, okay, what do you got? Yeah. Yeah. No, very good. All right, last question then for you. You say you're doing uh, John Lewis. Uh, focus on John Lewis here in the, the Everyday Heroes books. Are you reading March and Run, the, the excellent graphic novels <laughs> on John Lewis's life? <laughs> Not only are we reading them, um, but Andrew and... Uh, and uh, Nate, yeah. who wrote and drew that book, are, are there are advisors on this book. Oh, okay. So when we did the when we when we did I am Martin Luther King Jr. and the Ordinary People Change World series, it was like the sixth book we did, seventh book we did, eighth book. Um, John Lewis was actually our advisor on it. Oh, amazing! He actually read the book and you know told us what whatever was right or wrong with it, and that was incredible. Yeah. Now we go to do I am John Lewis. And obviously, John Lewis has passed away. I was like, well, who knows the story better? Obviously, you know. March is one of my favorite books and graphic novels have been published in the last 10 years that are a nonfiction, you know, kind of universe. And I immediately, Andrew and, and Nate are friends of mine. I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to write this thing. You know, I'm taking a look at it and tearing apart what you think is wrong. I need, I need someone to put their eyes on this. So we of course went right. You know, we never, as I always say, we never just try and say, I know what I'm doing. Let me just do it. Um, we really pour ourselves into it and make sure that we have people to catch our blind spots. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. No, I'm looking forward to that too then. Yeah, those those graphic novels are incredible. I'm looking forward to the rest of the the run series as well, although um, you know, sadly posthumously for John Lewis. But I know, uh, I know. incredible life. And, I, and, I, and obviously I'm such a huge fan of Nate's art. We did work together on the R. I. M. Gandhi graphic novel that we did together and I even though I love seeing I you know, I, I'm always biased to the ones where Nate draws it all. Yeah, yeah, it's great stuff. Um all right, Brad. Well this has been a pleasure. Uh, do you have anything else you want to make sure people know about or, or where people should find you before I let you go? No, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them are at Brad Meltzer. And um, I know we're putting up a lot of free previews of, uh, of the Superman and Batman books. I think hopefully by the time you hear this, there'll be some little Wonder Woman peaks there as well. So um, what I only want to say is just thank you. Because, you know, there are people that are listening here who have supported me in the comics and then come over to the novels and come over to the nonfiction or come over to our kids' books and said, you know, I used to read your thrillers and now I read these with your kids. And I just can't thank you enough, especially those who were smart enough to catch, you know, who Osterman and, 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 and you know, Dryberg were back in the day. I <laughs> yeah. appreciate you being there for all those years. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. All right. Take care.